Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. The Tortoise Shack is completely independent. We have no ads, no sponsors, but we rely on the kindness of you, the kindness of the listener to help pay it forward and keep this platform going and conversations like the one you're about to listen to happen. So if you get something out of it, please give something back. The way you do that is you click the link that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. It's in the podcast you're listening to right now. It's probably there at the top because I'm a bit cheeky like that. But by clicking that link, you help making sure that the podcast remains free and available for everybody. And it's not just that. You get the podcast as quickly as I turn them around and they come out plea free. So you don't have to listen to me beg, but beg I must. So one last time patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack i will stop rabbiting on now i hope you enjoyed the first episode of lost in implementation with emma d'souza hello and welcome to the lost in implementation pod this is a six-part podcast special um thanks to my good friends at the tortoise shack uh, and a special thanks to tony for assisting with this. Now, what are we doing over these uh, six episodes is examining the Belfast Good Friday Agreement over the last 25 years and asking the question of what has not been delivered. There's going to be lots of celebrations and of course it is right to celebrate the achievement of 25 years of peace. But this is also a good time to have a critical conversation over what hasn't been delivered and what hasn't been implemented. The Good Friday Agreement is cited as a model example of peace agreements But in many regards, the agreement has faltered in the way of many others in terms of its implementation. So today I'm joined by two very exciting guests. I have Professor Colin Harvey from Queens and I have human rights defender Alexa Murr. And we are going to have a conversation about a Bill of Rights. Now, in the Good Friday Agreement, there is the Bill of Rights is is threaded throughout and uh, it actually committed the Northern Ireland Human Rights Commission, which was set up under the Good Friday Agreement, to consult and advise on the scope of defining in Westminster legislation rights supplementary to those from the European Convention on Human Rights to reflect, reflect the particular circumstances of Northern Ireland. These were meant to be additional rights that were to reflect the principles of mutual respect and parity of esteem. And yet, we do not have a Bill of Rights. So I'm going to come to you first, Colin. Uh, and ask you to maybe perhaps set the context for us a little bit about in terms of what the agreement says around a Bill of Rights and sort of the expectations that were had and how that would be delivered. Well, f- first of all, Emma, just to thank you very much for the invitation to participate in the podcast. Um, it's great to discuss with yourself and Alexa. Um, I'll try and be as exciting as I, as I can be, but... Uh, your framing is absolutely right. This is about the implementation of the Good Friday Agreement. The remit is set out there. Uh, there's a reasonable expectation that a Bill of Rights would be delivered, but that hasn't happened. Uh, as we know, the process was launched on the 1st of March in 2000. So we're 23 years later from that. Um, the Human Rights Commission delivered its advice on the 10th of December, 2008, in many ways quite ambitious proposals. And I think ultimately today, that's unfinished work. We need to, in a sense, renew a commitment to the human rights agenda of the Good Friday Agreement 
and in a sense not give up on the Bill of Rights process. It would make a difference. It would have made a difference here. Uh, quite an expansive list of rights, but perhaps one at the moment uh, that's particularly significant is is an area of social and economic rights. I think that would have really had a transformative impact on this society. And it's a great tragedy that those justiciable uh, social and economic rights recommended by the Commission <coughs> were, were never implemented. But there are other examples as well. And really, it's also a testament to remarkable momentum in civic society and uh, the monumental and colossal role of civil society on leading, really, a debate on rights and equality in this society for for decades. So I have no doubt that that work will continue. What would you say, Colin, went wrong? You know, the Northern Ireland Human Rights Commission um, discharged of its duties in 2007, and uh, following that, uh, we didn't actually have any progress. So what would your view be on, on, I suppose, the decision by the NIO and the government at the time not to further those recommendations? Well, it's, it's not an uncommon outcome in a sense. The British government uh, refused uh, to enact legislation at Westminster. It was always clear in the agreement that that's where it would be taken forward. And they haven't done that. Now, there are arguments about how maximalist the commission was, but I think that's not where the focus should be. Um, I want an ambitious uh, human rights agenda for Northern Ireland, and I'd like to see that taken forward. So what has happened is that the British government has essentially handed a, a party political veto uh, to to uh, certainly one major political party here uh, and used that as an excuse for not giving people here rights that they so clearly uh, should have. And, you know, maybe to end on this, poll after poll after poll, all the evidence suggests that these rights enjoy wide and deep support among all communities in Northern Ireland. So I rest the blame very clearly with Westminster and the UK government in not taking forward rights that people here should have. And Alexa, you know, part of the Good Friday generation, uh, what is, uh, you know, how do you feel about not having a Bill of Rights? Do you think that that would have been an improvement in terms of if we had that delivered? Well, it's extremely frustrating to kind of look at this frankly historic and and um you know monumental agreement um that was reached 25 years ago um and to see all of the different human rights elements of it um and the different kind of elements which were meant to build a better society for us all that simply have not been implemented um you know very few changes in terms of how kind of segregated our communities are or education is or you know, the, the peace walls erected between us. Um, and, and the Bill of Rights is just another example of an unfulfilled promise from that agreement. And and I guess it's it, it, it stings particularly harder because of the last 
12 years of Tory rule um, and, and, and the kind of the rights regression that we've actually seen under the current UK government um, in terms of the, the rights removal bill attempting to undermine the European Convention on Human Rights itself, um, the the so-called illegal migration bill, um, the illegal bill, um, trying to strip the right to claim asylum from people. You know, I, I, I think that if we had a Bill of Rights in Northern Ireland, it would not have been a fix-all, it would not have been a catch-all, but it would have helped us have another vehicle, another kind of uh, uh, protection against this kind of regression from the UK government. Um, and as Colin said, you know, the, the conversations over the past five, ten years in particular have, have stood closer and closer into social, um, economic and cultural rights. Um, and actually, um, as part of the the most recent Bill of Rights process that was set up under New Decade New Approach, um, the ad hoc committee on the Bill of Rights, um, we got, you know, agreement from four out of the five parties, no prizes for guessing who wasn't agreed, um, that economic, social and cultural rights should be included in any Bill of Rights. Um, but as has been said, a party political veto has been allowed to uh, kind of take precedence over that. Um, but, you know, as a, as a young person, as someone who has, has grown up as an LGBT person in this, in this you know, state, country, region, um, seeing the kind of rights of, of my community and many other communities um, across um, across the UK and in particular in Northern Ireland, just not respected, not upheld, um, and, and kind of not progressed over the past ten years, with very few um, kind of exceptions. Um, it it does just get more and more frustrating when you think, oh, actually, we were promised rights. We were promised, um, you know, a rights based society. We were promised a bedrock, a kind of a, a copper fastening of the European Convention on Human Rights. Um, and they haven't even been able to deliver that. Successive UK governments haven't been able to deliver that. Uh, so it, 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 it's disappointing and it's frustrating. But of course, it the fight must go on. <laughs> Absolutely. And Colin, um, tell me a little bit about that ad hoc committee as well and the, the processes that have happened since, uh, you know, the 2007-2008 period attempts made at going back to the conversation of a bill of rights because it does seem a little bit like we're trapped in this cycle of saying yes uh you know a bill of rights is part of the good friday agreement uh it would be very good for society there's quite a bit of consensus within the political parties and there's consensus within the public but we can't seem to move this forward so maybe give us a little bit of context and how these various attempts have been made to try and push it along well, for, for many years, Emma, the whole process looked as if it was entirely stalled. You know, there was no progress being made at all. So it was only relatively recently with New Decade, New Approach that the Bill of Rights found its way back in on the agenda again. I think part of a general dissatisfaction along the theme of your podcast series, actually, that that the, the some of the biggest casualties of our process have been an inclusive equality and human rights agenda. And so it was that frustration, really, I think, that, that pushed this issue back on to the agenda. Thanks also to, you know, again, the robust civil society actors and activists who've been steadily making gains across a range of areas, making sure that this wasn't forgotten. 
So we had the assembly process, the ad hoc committee process uh, that has met and, and has finally reported last year, which has really brought it back to the fore. I suppose there's some debate about that process itself because at the start, many of us predicted really that it might end in stalemate. And funnily enough, that's that's where it ended up again with with really an outcome that we, we probably all could have foreseen and predicted. But I think what it did usefully is it produced a report, it's clarified a number of questions. Uh, it reinforced what we know really about party political divides. But I thought it, it has brought the issue back centre stage again. I think that's been useful. It also has reminded people, if they needed reminded, that you know, party political deadlock has been, you know, a major hindrance to advancing this project over many years. Uh, you know, I know people say this, but it is true. People, <laughs> people are way ahead on this issue. All the evidence suggests that these are rights that people want to see delivered at Westminster, as was promised. So, you know, if anybody had any doubt as to where the political blockage was, They've had that reaffirmed by the ad hoc committee process on the Bill of Rights. But again, like all the processes here, you know, it, there was a lot of excellent evidence and work done by civil society and others giving evidence, feeding into that process, you know, taking it seriously, if you like, so informing the debate. One of the amazing things about this society, I think, that is remarkable is that there's solutions for almost all the challenges we have. The problem is exactly as you're framing this discussion, the implementation issue of moving that to the next level of building pressure, civic and political, to make sure this is delivered. And I think it's good to see a, a refocus on, on delivering on this Bill of Rights, even the extent to which a project I was involved in with uh, colleague Ann Smith at the University of Ulster, working with the Human Rights Consortium and others, we actually turned the draft advice into legislation to say, well, here you go. Here's what it might look like uh, if uh, Westminster is willing to t take this step. So uh, 25th anniversary, a great opportunity to once again remind people that there's a lot of unfinished business. And I think it raises a wider question about the mood around GFA 25 and what that mood would should be. Yes, you know, recognizing the successes and achievements and how far Ha, people have come and how far the peace process has gone forward. But we have to really re-renew and reaffirm and focus also on unfinished business. And obviously the Bill of Rights is, is a major component of that. So I hope people will address that <coughs> in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, on that point on the mood, Alexa, what do you think about the mood for the 25th anniversary as someone who works in an area defending human rights and as, as deeply frustrated, I suppose, by this lack of implementation as well. How do you think the mood's building? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, for, from my own organizational perspective, I, I, I'm a research officer in in the Human Rights Consortium, and obviously, we were we were kind of set up to advocate for uh, for a Bill of Rights and and to kind of get this delivered. So, I mean, for, from the ad organizational perspective. It is very frustrating to be 25 years in and to be having the same arguments, to be making the same points. And again, you know, as Colin said, the, the public are on our side. Um, you know, the, the people want more rights. Most of the political parties want more rights as well. Um, and, and so I think, I mean, 
the move for myself is certainly frustration. Um, it's, you know, it's another example and another kind of opportunity for certain people, the, the great and the good, to pat each other and themselves on the back for a job well done. Um, and the job isn't done. We're still doing the job. Civil society continues to do the job every single day of trying to build a better society. Um, and, and we're often held back uh, by the intransigence of the UK government and often the Irish government as well, um, who for many parts just are unwilling to fulfil their commitments. Um, and, you know, that that's a big part of the uh, the push in, in the consortium um, behind our Make Our Future Fair campaign um, to make the point that, you know, we were we were promised this fair, rights-based, peaceful, um, together future um, that, you know, in some ways we have come so, so far from where we were in, in 1998, um, but we still have so far to go. Um, and so if I can do a shameless plug here, please follow Bill of Rights NI on Twitter and follow Make Our Future Fair um, and have a look at some of the campaigning activities we'll be doing over over uh, the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. Um, because frankly, if if we all don't do the work, no one will. <laughs> I think that's really important context, Alexa, to frame because... You know, there is going to be a lot of fanfare. You know, we're getting presidential visits and there'll be big galas and conferences and, uh, you know, all celebrating um, back whenever there was agreement in 1998. But the context, particularly for younger uh, demographics, is that people in Northern Ireland are still growing up under much of the same division and segregation as their parents and grandparents. We have an education system that remains 93% segregated. Social housing is 90% segregated, over 100 peace walls still remain. We have paramilitaries still as a scourge on some of the most marginalized communities. And I suppose when putting together this uh, concept of having these conversations, it was framed around the idea of, is this really the best we can do? Is this the limit of our ambition that this is where we are after an entire generation that we can push this forward? And I think that's why it's so good to have these conversations. And on that point around the Irish government. That's a good good point to bring in here. Uh, Colin, I wonder about your views on both the Irish and British government as co-guarantors. Have they taken their feet off the pedal when it comes to the Good Friday? It's a, it's a great question. And again, the framing around promises that were made, uh, peace process that haven't been delivered, there's no other way of framing that in the area of human rights, equality, social justice, uh, marginalized, vulnerable communities here have not experienced the sort of changes that you would anticipate if you take those promises seriously. So obviously there's a major focus at the moment on the UK government, post-Brexit, extreme anxiety about the sort of toxic vision of the future that is emerging in that sort of Brexiteer dystopia, if you want to, um, that is causing major, major worry from a human rights and equality perspective. You know, at the moment, it's every other day from Westminster, you know, across the board. It, it's, it, it, it's, it's approaching overwhelming in terms of the attacks, not just on human rights and equality, but also on those organizations and individuals that uphold human rights and equality and the rule of law 
you know, lawyers, civil society activists, a really nasty, unpleasant, neoconservative, right-wing assault on the whole idea of some of the things we're talking about today. You know, battles that you thought were won have to be refought again, again and again and again. And both governments have a role in that, so that the Irish government is a co-guarantor of the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, there's changes that need to happen in the south of Ireland as well. But there's also the matter of the Irish government holding the UK government to account. For example, in the legacy context, people are raising the question whether the Irish government should be taking the UK to the European Court of Human Rights on its really appalling legacy proposals. There's only one example. So we do have the protocol uh, stroke Windsor framework, uh, Article 2, no diminution uh, guarantee and a sort of keeping pace component to that. But frankly, we can do better than that. You know, we Alexis used the word which I think is right. We need to be ambitious for this place. So changes haven't happened and we need to be honest about that. And I think there'll be very little tolerance in the next few months for people who don't acknowledge the work that's outstanding because, you know, the lived experience of people on the ground in the North, Northern Ireland, it doesn't match some of these promises. Uh, some of the most, again, most marginal, marginalised vulnerable people are still the most marginalised vulnerable people, people who felt the absolute brunt of the conflict and that needs to change urgently and both governments have a fundamental role in that so I want to hear in the next few weeks and months something on that <laughs> you know it definitely doesn't can't be just patting people on the back about what happened 25 <coughs> years ago you know I'd rather think you know Emma as you're highlighting there what about the next 25 years you know what about ensuring these promises are realised so I'd like to talk about the future as well as the past. Well, do you think you're going to hear that over the next few weeks and months? I hope so. I'll be listening intently, <laughs> if invited. <laughs> Alexa, what do you think needs to happen to move the dial here? On the on the Bill of Rights, or generally yeah. speaking? Yeah, on the Bill of Rights. I mean, the, the Belfast Good Friday Agreement has always been clear. It needs to come from Westminster legislation. It needs to come from the UK government. Um, the Northern Ireland Human Rights Commission delivered their um, their um, advice in, in 2008. Um, and, and they could have done it then and, and, and they refused. And, and they could have done it two years ago and they instead set up another process um, to just kind of go round in circles and again use this concept of oh well you know we don't have political consensus in Northern Ireland to to kind of hide behind but frankly what needs to happen is if either this current government or the next government needs to set in place a process of consultation and engagement with civil society with communities on the ground in Northern Ireland um and with the end goal of that, and not just the end goal, but the the end result of that being a Bill of Rights for Northern Ireland delivered through Westminster legislation. That's that that is fundamentally where we need to get. Um, it needs to, you know, if say the next government uh, comes in and it is a Labour government led by Keir Starmer, um, 
he needs to set in place a timeline for delivering a bill of rights. If the next government comes in and it's a conservative government led by Rishi Sunak, he needs to set in place a timeline for delivering a bill of rights. It's it's enough's enough. Uh, we have waited long enough. Um, and frankly, I think we're all getting a bit sick of unfulfilled promises of agreements that aren't worth their weight in salt um, and, and aren't worth the paper that they're written on because the, the, the commitments are just prorogued on um, at whim. It's, it's, as I said, very frustrating, um, as, as you can possibly tell. Um, but there is a way out. And it's by setting in place a process that by the end of ex-Parliament, we have a Bill of Rights in Northern Ireland that is delivered through a consultative process that engages and, and brings in all communities in Northern Ireland. And again, not just another fluffy process that will just be ignored at the end. Something concrete, something with commitments, something time-bound. Um, I know it's a lot to ask, but... Um, if the if the government would follow through on some of their commitments, that would be nice. That, that, yeah, we don't do good... well with timelines here, or yeah. do we? Time restraints, time bound at all. Um, There's a good so point I... there, Emma, in terms of just uh, Alexa, Alexa's point about governments, you know, um, thinking of this conversation, you know, there, there may well be new governments in London and Dublin in the next few years, and the extent to which the things we're talking about today, we can now get those front and centre of, you know, those potential new governments and what they're planning. You know, I think that's important work, not just in London, but also in Dublin as well, in terms of, uh, for example, the socio-economic crisis facing the south of Ireland as well, sort of ongoing disaster that we're watching unfolding in relation to housing. So this is, there's a moment of opportunity here too. Uh you know, the Labour government in London, what, what is it going to do? Will it commit uh, in its manifesto uh, to delivering on this, for example? Um, and I know, you know, many people will be pressing them very hard to, 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 to do so, so. Perhaps I'm more pessimistic about the the prospects of that in that, you know, 2008, whenever the Northern Ireland Human Rights Commission did discharge of its duties and the government could have legislated uh, on those rights, it was a Labour government that was in power at that time That's and um, essentially started to bed in this concept of requiring a cross-community consensus on a Bill of Rights, which is not part of the Good Friday Agreement. So perhaps I'm a little bit more sceptical about, I mean, the current government is just so <laughs> atrocious that I think we can fall into a trap of thinking anybody but the Conservatives will be better. No, I think you're 100% right, Emma. Um, and I... You know, I think Colin's right, though, too, in that we do have an opportunity to put this on the agenda and to get this in front of the parties and to make sure that actually, you know, if they get in, they'll have lots of questions to answer from Northern Ireland about what they're doing and what their plan is for the future. But we cannot sit on our laurels and think that, oh, well, we'll have a Labour government this time in a year or two years and everything will be fine because that you're right, that's not the case. They had the opportunity before, they didn't take it, uh, and we need to continue applying that pressure. Again, as you say, Cullen, in the UK and in the Republic of Ireland, to whatever the next government looks like down there as well. I suppose one question, you know, around the, the, the Labour government is that the Labour government in the late 90s came to par with a 
with a sort of constitutional reform agenda and vision and whatever people think about what then unfolded. Um, you know, one of the things about the current Labour government is trying to clarify what actually they're about, you know, what their vision is for positively for the future. And I suppose one interesting issue will be what they'll do about constitutional questions um, and the thinking the Labour Party's been doing around that and where rights will will feature around that. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, before, when they were last in government, they were beginning to think about social and economic rights uh, and building that in to the constitutional framework. And so that'll be an interesting one to, to watch. But yeah, like one concern at the moment is just spelling out exactly what the current Labour Party is for and what it intends to do beyond simply getting itself elected, you know? <laughs> I suppose just so we, we're going to round it up here now and I want to ask you both a sort of double question here. Uh, in the first instance, what does the agreement mean to you? And then secondly, uh, what do you think needs to happen to address this implementation failure with the agreement itself? I'll go to you first there, Colin. Whoa. So first of all, the agreement is, you know, it's a, it's a complex uh, mechanism to start with that tries to reflect on all the relationships across these islands. But in terms of today, it, you know, my view is it made promises and those promises haven't been kept. And that's around societal transformation in areas such as human rights, equality, and social justice. And the reason that matters is not for academics at Queen's, but for people in the societies whose lives were meant to have been transformed and changed as a result of these promises. So it's just reminding people what they are, that they haven't been kept, and doing the work uh, that people have been doing over many decades of holding people to account and trying to achieve those gains you know, what the history tells us is moments arise where things can happen. And we may be at a time of despair and pessimism and thinking things are very difficult, but things can change. Opportunities arise. All the prepare, preparation and hard work around the Bill of Rights won't go to waste if and when that moment uh, does come. But ultimately, you know, it's not about just getting a, a document and a legal text. The tragedy of the North, Northern Ireland and the Good Friday Agreement is that, yes, there there have been significant achievements and we have to acknowledge that in terms of the peace process, but the promises of the peace process around transforming people's lives in this society haven't been kept and we need to approach that with the seriousness it deserves because that's not just about who did what in the distant past that's about the lives of people in the here and now and also the future too and so just the work goes on what about you Alexa? I think for me the the agreement is a bedrock it is you know I I was born after the agreement I haven't known a Northern Ireland without it Um, and frankly I don't want to um, I, I don't want to know the Northern Ireland before the Belfast Good Friday Agreement. Um, but I, it, it's not a finished project. It's not It's not the end goal. The agreement was meant to be the bedrock on which we built 
a better society, a rights-based society, an equal society. Um, and again, you know, as Colin has said, it hasn't really delivered on on what's often referred to as the peace dividend. Um, you know, we haven't got that dividend. There are still people living in massive deprivation. There are still, um, you know, Belfast city centre is is just absolutely horrible and 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 full of people without homes and without support services and and you know the this agreement was supposed to provide hope and prosperity and and all of these different things but due to the politics due to the 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 almost cycle of dysfunction that we're kind of caught in um it hasn't and I think how do we how do we unlock that? How do we move away from that that dysfunction? I mean, I think that you you throw the whole political class out and get another one. Like I I I think that fundamentally our our parties, our politicians, our structures as they are are not are not there to kind of enable that kind of cooperation, enable that peace building, enable that um building a better society. Um. There's just, I mean, we can do it, but it will require so much investment from, I think, my generation, from future generations, um, and from all of those who are currently already in those positions of power um, to actually take a step back and say, okay, is what I'm doing actually for the betterment of society, or is it just continuing this charade of uh, of you know instability and 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 kind of um inaction as well i think that's one of the one one of the worst things that we're really really good at in northern ireland is not doing anything is sitting for seven years without a government and not doing anything and, and, and we just need to get out of that cycle uh, and frankly you know the only people who can do it are the people in power um yeah, and if we don't like that, we can vote them out. <laughs> well, that's a perfect note to to bring this conversation to a close. So I just want to thank you both for taking the time to have this discussion about a Bill of Rights. I suppose closing thoughts uh, would be that um, if this year, this 25th anniversary, becomes another talking shop, it will be a missed opportunity because we do have a moment here in time where we can say this is not good enough. Uh People deserve better. We we can ask for more. We're allowed to ask for a functioning government or for enforceable human rights as promised. Outrageous. Thank you so much. Thank you to everyone for listening to this uh, special GFA 25 Tortoise Shack podcast on the unimplemented, unfinished work of the Belfast Good Friday Agreement. Thank you.